0: Hello, humans. Today's episode is about healing and finding your voice and your strength and your own footing, especially after some of the hardships that you can encounter in life. Because if you're one of the unfortunate souls that wasn't handed everything in life and had it very easy and was full of just loving and kind relationships with all the time and attention and care and in the world, and you are one of those undesirables that has picked up some damage along the way some unfairness and sabotage and trauma well it's easy from time to time to compare yourself to others and and think you know i'm damaged i'm broken and my outlook on life is always going to be different and i'm never going to be able to have the life that somebody who hasn't gone through this stuff would have and And what if you are? What if you are broken beyond all repair and have totally crossed a very real imaginary line of trauma that once you experience this much, you can never come back and live a normie life full of rego stuff with cool, healthy relationships and a nice, good, awesome self relationship and no all those awful things you think and feel about yourself are super true objectively true like scientifically provable if the scientific community even gave a shit enough to even try to prove it but they don't because you're part of the broken toy club and you will always be damaged and you might as well take back that angry individual who always made you feel like you're walking on eggshells and never ask for a raise or stand up for yourself because you're not even worth it bro you're broken forever <laughs> Jackson record my son is watching me <laughs> while I'm recording this <laughs> or maybe not or maybe you know um picking up some damage some more severe than others is part of the human experience and although you know I wouldn't wish it upon anyone uh I think it is very real and I don't think the word trauma gets thrown around enough to be honest I I know in my life uh, I've experienced uh, some hardship that is not typical, but I. the more I've gotten to know people and really gotten to see people, I've gotten to realize that even the ones who I feel like have had it easy have something that to them feels huge. And so today's guest is Rima Zaman, and I found her from her new book, I Am Yours, which is wonderful, but she is also an actor and visual artist and now an author. And the book is about her overcoming some of the hurdles she has had in life, some of the things that have really made her feel like she should stay silent and be little. And it's about her journey into finding her strength and finding her presence in the room, which boy, does she have. And not only do I think the the book is good and it was it was challenging for me in some ways but I'm excited to follow her career. I think she's going to be a wonderful voice for those of us who constantly do have that thought that oh well, you know, now that this has happened, I can't actually be normal, which is something that I fight with often and actually currently it's been coming up. So here is my conversation with Rima Zaman. We're good. Okay. Rima, hey, thanks for having me. I guess we should thank your host for having us.
1: Having us. Thank you, Sam, for being here and having me.
0: For everyone out there, we're in an old San Franciscan Victorian. There's music lessons happening down below us, so we're just going to do the best we can. <laughs> there might be some unexpected noises. Um Rima. You're on a brand new book tour. I am. And you just told me that this is the third event tonight. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. congratulations on that. Thank you. For any of our listeners at home who haven't looked you up yet, Mm -hmm. who are you?
1: My name is Rima Zaman, and I'm the author of the memoir, I Am Yours. And I am a writer, a speaker, an actress, and an artist from Bangladesh. I was born in Bangladesh in 1983, and then I moved to Thailand with my family when I was six years old and then i immigrated to the states by myself when i was 18 and to pursue my dream of being a voice for the stories and souls that had been silenced because i had grown up in thailand and bangladesh i i became aware from a very early age of the silencing that happens to girls and women especially in my cultures but all around the world and it in, it's it instilled in me this fire and this conviction that I had to do something about it. And I know that art gives a voice to what would otherwise remain silent. And so I always knew that I would become an artist of some sort to be, to give voice to the things that have been hidden for so long.
0: I think part of your, your story, which, let me rephrase that. I think a, a major theme of your story is, is really recognizing combating abuse mm. and emotional abuse and physical abuse and how subtle it can be at times it can but i think it's really important to recognize your beginnings which kind of primed you for what would later happen right um can you tell us about your family structure and your upbringing just to
1: sure for the story underneath the story right that yeah. we all have in we all have a story underneath the story and my story is um my parents had an arranged marriage in 1982 a year before i was born and they were children and as is the case in so many so many relationships children trying to raise children things can go awry and i'm their eldest and my parents did their best but they were you know they were trying to still find themselves and also trying to find a rapport with each other and um And there was a lot of, there was never any physical violence or, or, um, sexual violence in my immediate family, but there was definitely a lot of uncertainty and emotional, um, chaos, I would say, of confusion, deeply rooted confusion as to, I never felt good enough. Um, and there was always a lot of pressure to be perfect and, and of course, it was never overt. It was never- ev- overtly told to me that I wasn't enough, but there were there was so much messaging and um, I have a f- much better relationship with my father now, but you know he is a Bangladeshi man and he was brought up in a traditional way, and he was also brought up without a father. He lost his father when he was a young child, and so he didn't have a role model to lean on, so how was he supposed to know how to father? parent well. Yeah. And, uh, so, and I saw my parents model a, um, rather toxic relationship where there was a lot of love, but it was kind of love that lost its way. Didn't know how to healthily land, uh, or fulfill or satisfy. And, um, and I recreated a, an uncanny replica of that marriage perhaps even in deeper in in a deeper way in my own marriage in in my mid 20s um he i on the outside i thought i was choosing someone who was absolutely opposite to my father because the the man i was married to was white and from america and came from a different background but lo and behold he started exhibiting behaviors that felt like home to me And that was actually part of, he started becoming very controlling and policing what I was allowed to wear and not allowed to wear. He would wipe makeup off my face, all the things that I remember seeing growing up. And he started, he started being very uh, controlling, not only with my physical appearance, but also with our finances. And again, another kind of, abuse that I had witnessed growing up between my, my parents. Um, my mother wasn't allowed to do certain things. She wasn't allowed to have a bank account of her own for the longest time. And it was all under the guise of, well, that's just not how things are. It's not acceptable. And a man controls the household. And, um, and I found myself recreating that or being complicit in that. And I was able to catch that perhaps because it, it was so clear to see to me because i it, i recognized it and i started asking myself how did this come to be and i started writing voraciously every morning i would wake up and i would write a new essay
0: while you were still together while
1: i was still together with my ex-husband and it was as though you know our our inner voice for all human beings that's our survival instinct and it will start to speak more persistently if if it's things were in danger and that's what my art started coming with this um whole new frequency and force and every morning i was waking up with these elaborate essays that were that it helped explain my parents to me and it helped explain my marriage to me and it helped explain that we you know we girls and women we've been regardless of what ethnic culture we come from this world continually gaslights us and tells us to second-guess what we know to be right and true. And it tells us to be forgiving to the point of self-harm sometimes, as it was for me for for sure. And while I was writing, all of these things just became clear. And it gave me the validation and strength I needed to speak back to him and to tell him that all the ways he was trying to control and manipulate me were unacceptable.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting that you... You're a very aware child and you come from this family with a clear power and balance, right. which is culturally enforced in a way. So it's not necessarily wrapped up in a bow of it being awful, right? you know, because you, your mom is very much kind of going along with it. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that you can come out of that aware and strong and confident and still end up Sucked back into such a toxic and poison. Like you'd you'd right. think that people that come from these traumas are have a better defense, but that's right. almost
1: the case. Exactly, because uh, and and I I made that assumption as well, and it's almost a an arrogant assumption I had made that oh, you know, I was able to see it and I was able to help my mother leave my father, and therefore I will never fall susceptible to this. But the thing is, there's such a big difference between what we mentally and intellectually understand, and then what the body and the heart remember and identify with as being our sense of home. And we are taught to love, and our definition of normalcy and love lives in our heart, not our head, right? And that's why I was able to get sucked into that cycle, because the heart and body it felt normal to be in an abusive situation until it became so painful. I couldn't look away from the truth.
0: So you, you're a believer that the the body kind of has, um, it holds on to its comfort zone from.
1: Absolutely.
0: That terrifies me. I know there was a book that came out this year, right? Or came out. The body keeps score. Was that this year? Yes. And I couldn't even actually pick it up because Mm. the thought of that is so scary to me. Right. Um,
1: Um, I mean, at the same time, it, you know, it's knowledge is power. So understanding that for me has given me a great deal of. First of all, I felt so ashamed for such a long time, and I and I know that a lot of survivors of abuse we we berate ourselves with sentences like "I was so stupid. How could I have done that? Um, if I'm that stupid, perhaps I I deserved it." And rec- for me, accepting that you know our psychology and our body's identifiers will has has its own um almost like algorithms that feels normal and it it helped me release myself from shame uh which is a big part of the healing process as well as the process toward making stronger wiser decisions in the future
0: if you could for a second i'm i'm actually in the audio version of your book which i mm-hmm. s- i started after reading your book um i'm at the point where you meet your now ex-husband mm-hmm. at, at gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because you captured it so well if you Mm -hmm. wouldn't mind kind of capturing how it started because it it starts slowly and i know this because i've actually you know this project "Hello, human started with a piece called the end of the world part one Mm. which is when i lost a relationship that was really important to me and i exhibited a lot of those behaviors actually it was that crushing moment of losing this person who i really cared about where i had to examine the kind of partner that i had actually been Mm -hmm. there was the partner that i thought i was right and then as it became clear she wasn't going to take me back and as it became clear that i didn't want to feel this again i had to look back on it and it you know this book was challenging for me to be honest Mm. because it 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 made me on the defense a lot right because i've You know, it wasn't at such an extreme of controlling behavior, but I've totally judged uh, my partner for wearing makeup a certain way. I felt like how she looked when she left the house was some of my business. Um, That's part of why that relationship ended was that kind of control and Mm. jealousy and um, ugly behavior. And yeah, if you could kind of tell us about the the slippery slope, how you ended up in a full blown emotionally abusive relationship how it snuck up right
1: um well first of all thank you for sharing that it takes a great deal of self-acceptance and courage to share that and thank you and um i did want to write a book that invited men to to have deep self-examination because i think so many um like male aggression and male control has been so normalized and also almost rewarded in our culture that so many people unwittingly, unconsciously, they start adopting those behaviors and it becomes a large part of why our relationships then break down, you know, even if we have good intentions. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm happy that this book helped you kind of do that a little bit more and look into that. Um, so when I met my ex-husband, I mean, he, first I, I thought he was the most, well, he is, he's one of the most charismatic, gorgeous, um, larger than life characters one will, one would ever meet. And he was the life of the party. And I was so happy to slip into the the quicksand of his very big personality and his big way of feeling emotions, whether it was joy or anger. Um, again, that was something that felt like home to me. Um, and it felt really good to be, um, he had this devouring kind of intensity and a devouring kind of, um, desire to attach and, uh, merge. And I as a woman who had as a girl who had never felt truly at at peace with myself or had felt I was always searching for people's acceptance and love, I always had that feeling with my parents growing up um it felt so nice to me you know it felt finally like somebody wanted all of me, and that's I was happy to succumb to that um but very quickly. His desire to want all of me became his desire to control all of me, and to have a say in everything I did, and policing my clothing, policing even my makeup choice choices, um, hair, how I did my hair, how I spoke, and everything was positioned in the guise of, "Well, I'm doing, well, baby, I'm doing this for your own good. It's because I love you." And um, yeah, and we have that kind of language that. You know in Hollywood where uh, you complete me or um you know, male aggression is so normalized and, and flaunted as as uh the, the whole, you know, women love dangerous men kind of trope. But all of that, like that uh sexiness comes from kind of this aggression. And so I had you know, I was raised on all of that television and Hollywood mythology. Well, bad all dating of
0: behavior it. on both sides, yeah, because, you know, definitely. in terms of jealousy, especially.
1: Right. Matt. And, and, and yeah, and you know, the, the message that like jealousy is an indication that the person loves you. No, it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's something else going on in, in ourselves if we rise to jealousy and, um, and very quickly the, what started off as control and policing became, um, aggression and dominance and a need to feel dominant over me. And I, and I knew that he suffered all bullies. Are their bullying behavior is rooted in insecurity, and his he became more insecure the more success I found in my career as an actress. Um, so he would grow both resentful and happy for my successes, and insulted and impressed by my talents. And um, and there was space only for one person's voice in our relationship, and in that voice he insisted the voice had to be his. And again, it was, and I wanted to write about all this because it wasn't ever done in a, um, it was all, all done in such a subtle and slow creeping way until one day I found myself in full blown out absurdity and pain. And I think that's how abuse occurs it happens in small steps, and women we're conditioned to be nurturers and to be ever forgiving and compassionate and that compassionate to the f- place of self-sacrifice and self-harm. And I definitely, I rationalize moment after moment, uh, action after action of his, I over rationalized to the place of where I was just trapped. And um, I over-forgave. And one of my favorite lines in I'm Yours is, I've learned the significant difference, the significant distinction that, yes, although I was born to be a conduit of love, compassion, and forgiveness, I simultaneously hold the right to refuse, to bear the brunt of another person's shadow. And I think that applies to all human beings, regardless of gender. There is a line between being loving and then being subsumed by someone.
0: The way I always explained the end of my relationship, which this is a couple of relationships ago, Mm. um, is that she was like a tree that I kept bending over Mm. and it was like small little things like, oh, I want you to be more um, assertive in public, right? you know, and oh, I want you to do this or this and like tiny little behaviors, but it was like a tree bending over and eventually she had to just snap kind of back to who she was and that meant not with me. Right and the painful realization i think the reason why it had such a big effect on I me mean, a if you're aware that you're the problem of wrecking something you really like that's mm. a pretty big blow but also that i thought about the person who i had first started dating
1: right
0: and i still wish i was dating her mm. so it was like all these little changes that i had done over the years yeah they were even though they seemed important at the time when it's gone it's in, it, it's insignificant yeah. and i imagine when he left your husband, he probably, you know, if he loved you, he probably had a similar.
1: Maybe. I don't know.
0: Maybe. I mean, he's uh, definitely on the extreme in terms of outlier. Right.
1: Yeah. So, um, and you're being very gracious and, you know, toward him and which I, I I try to be as well. And, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't uh, assume to know what he was thinking. Yeah, maybe you know, I shouldn't we, either. Or, um, but I I think it's a hopeful thing. But you know, it's it's also none of my business in a way. Yeah. And uh, and well, toward the end, he did. He was the one who ultimately ended us. Um. I you know I had put all my money into our accounts, and so I was also financially trapped. I didn't. I needed to find an exit route, and I couldn't leave for the longest time because I just. Did't have the money to start a new life um all of my money would be deposited into his pocket every month every month for the he had two houses, two properties, and my again this was part of the abuse. My name was never on any of the leases, whether it was for the car or the the barn in where we where we lived or the apartment that he subletted yet I would be paying you know, all of my earnings would go into those things. But because of that, and that, and that's financial abuse. And because of that, I couldn't find my way out for the longest time. And then he was the one who just one day he evicted me. He just said, don't come home. And in that, and he said, you know, I'm holding you back. So he had enough wherewithal to understand that and see that. And I was so grateful that he uh, released me because that's what it felt like. I didn't feel rejected. I felt profound relief and a deep sense of release. And it felt like a new lease on life. And it was. And I wasn't going to waste it by any means. And I kept on, because um, those mysterious essays that were sent by my inner voice, they had done so much value for me because they had filled me up with self-esteem and validation. I kept on developing those because I thought, if they did so much for me, maybe they'll have some value in other, in another person's life to help them gain courage and freedom in their lives and That's what I did. I leaned into those writings after I left him and uh developed it into a book and and it's you know um I'm proud that I wanted to make sure that the book held a lot of grace toward every character in the book, you know whether it's my father or My husband, because I truly believe that all of us, we are are born as children, and then we become the love or the pain that is given to us, modeled to us, or inflicted upon us. And we're just a series of choices. And within that truth lives all the reason I need to forgive and feel grace for anybody.
0: Yeah, that's... That's generous. And I, I like to hold that belief too. I believe that true evil is very, very rare. It is. Almost non-existent. I think, you know, you can put people in certain situations where it's almost like they're going to cause harm, you know, and I don't know what, um, you know, the, the characters in your life who have hurt you had happened to them. But I imagine that at one point they were the victim.
1: Absolutely. And, um, that's not,
0: not to excuse their behavior. yeah.
1: I, yeah, thank you. And not to exonerate anyone's behavior, yeah, exactly. but there is always there is always so much room for pause and self-examination, accountability and ownership, as well as you know examination, accountability and ownership for someone else's behaviors and choices too, of course. And, um, and I've also one of the repeating patterns with the, the men who have been abusive in my life, is that um, all of them wanted the women in their lives to be of one particular attribute and nothing else? So, for instance, um, my husband and my father, for a long time, our friction came from, and then the other man that I write about too. So, in in I am yours, I never give an, I never give anyone a pseudonym, nor do I call them by their real names. I give everyone an archetype name for a very specific, you know, very particular reason. So my ex-husband, I call him Peter Pan. And the man that came before be after him, I call him the prince. And the prince is a perfect, the relationship was a perfect examination in toxic power and the hunger for power and ambition in New York that is such a big part of New York's personality. And with both the prince and Peter Pan, as well as my father to some degree. um, For a long time, their trigger was um, when a woman would go beyond their preconceived notion of what a woman was allowed to be like. Um, Their very limited preconception of, well, you cannot be both soft and strong. You can't be polite as well as forthright. And I think it's because we live in a world culture that says women have to be uh, that gives it gives us very little room to be complex and complicated, and so any um, any instance where I betrayed that and showed that oh by virtue of being human I am complex would infuriate those men, and they wanted me to be just one way, but not a multi dimensional creature, and that would always rise them to sort of to controlling behaviors and anger.
0: I've, um, I've been really fascinated with PTSD and because I believe that life is traumatic right. and I don't think the word trauma gets thrown around enough <laughs> yeah. Pers- personally, I think to, to be an adult, uh, it's very likely that, you know, you've encountered some really hard stuff along the way, even, oh, yeah. even the people that seem like they have it all figured out. And the, one of the best explanations of what hap- of, of kind of what's happening is that you've built a model of reality mm-hmm. and then you've come across something that shatters it. Yes. And so if you have a model of reality that life is good or that people mm-hmm. are trustworthy, and then you're deeply betrayed by someone, that's a traumatic event to Absolutely. your to your environment. Because we've really just decided, you know, right. at, as our own consciousness,
1: yeah. what
0: environment we're inhabiting. Yes. And part of that means that, so for you, um, at some point you became an inhabitant of a Mm -hmm. violent and controlling and dominant world. And how on earth do you start to, I don't know what the right appropriate word is, but to, I I don't imagine you want to live with that worldview to live a happy life. So how do you start to rebuild a a worldview without that?
1: Well, I don't, I don't think I've ever had that worldview of thinking that um, I've always known that there is so much trauma and violence in the world because I was exposed to it from as a, as a young child. And I was also exposed to deep poverty too, growing up and you know, being born in the third world country and seeing poverty around me all the time. Um, but I think what it just allowed for was this practicality as well as a deep sense of gratitude for what we do have. And I contribute that to my mother. My mother is the most optimistic person, and um, she lives with so much grace toward the world and toward people. And I, she's my role model, and I, I have that same personality type, where it's really hard for me to be unhappy, actually. Like, I wake up very happy and feeling like we got this, we can do it. And I, and that has, um, you know, uh, for, and in sometimes that actually has worked in my, um, not worked in my favor because perhaps I've been able to be so accepting of violent situations because I've just said, well, we're going to get through this. Everything's going to be fine, you know? Um, but it's also been a, a saving grace we're feeling, um, because life will always be lifelike. Life will have challenges and adversity, but there's also extremely beautiful things about the human condition. And, um, it's like, you know, looking for, looking for the light in every human being. Um, it's always there. It's always a possibility and, uh, finding a sense of humor in everything, um, finding moments of grace wherever we can. And then you just string those along and suddenly you have, uh, the narrative for your day and we get to decide what we want to focus on. Right. And so string up enough moments of light and there's, there's a a rope ladder.
0: I've been very comfortable being jaded. Uh, I think that's my comfort place is to Mm. be like, yeah, life is really hard and things are going to be disappointing. And so it makes the the next disappointment, Like less hurtful, and it's Mm. not a winning strategy for me. But it's a it's a comfortable place that I go back to. Right. One of the things that I've been focusing on this year that I think you could speak on is really finding a a, a sense of strength and the strength Mm. to believe in that inner voice. Right. Which you know, I think a lot of people talk about self-care like um it's just bubble baths and right. massages it's, yeah this has been on my mind a lot lately yeah. and for me wow self-care is like really taking a look at my bank account mm-hmm. and figuring out how i'm aggressively going to pursue you know being uh, more um money-minded because it's just not naturally on my mind it's right. not something i normally gravitate towards or partnerships and friendships that aren't working for mm-hmm. me like ending them right not because these are bad people because there's like life's really short right and
1: yeah
0: when you are you're walking a a really nice line i see a good balance between being connected to your softness and your mm-hmm. grace and also your power mm-hmm. and thank you how do you find that balance what are your the guiding kind of waypoints that right. help you decide that you're not being too aggressive but you're being firm and gentle? Where? How do you right. navigate that?
1: Um. Thank you. You know, I've found that I become one or the other and become imbalanced if I'm in a situation, if I'm in a relationship that where I don't feel safe, for instance, because um, I've then that's when I overcompensate by being too soft and turning into being being docile or being I overcompensate if I feel that the person I'm with isn't uh, isn't bringing their strength to the table. I start to recognize that I I overcompensate and become aggressive. And so I think it's um, it's about recognizing what situations feel like they have the most best alignment. You know, whether it's a professional situation, a personal situation. And I know that whenever I feel aligned with my environment. I feel more aligned within myself but it's also the other way around if you're aligned with yourself it, you're going to create those opportunities with far more ease I think and and attract those people who are comfortable in themselves so that they too can just be in alignment and have that happy balance um I think also uh I think a big shift in my life um and this is again like because of I my my mother's daughter from a very young age, she taught me to look at every opportunity, every, every experience as an opportunity waiting to happen, an opportunity for learning and an opportunity to turn an adversity into a new talent, um, to turn that wound into wisdom. And that has become part of my personality and I think that helps navigate the frustrations of life and it helps me stay both soft and powerful,
0: I think the first part is connecting to <laughs> bless you. <laughs> how do you like to connect a a big theme in the book mm. is connecting kind of with that that inner voice the mm-hmm. voice right How do you like to connect with it, and how do you know your your where do you get your instructions from
1: right um, well i I spend a lot of time by myself in asking myself the, the universal questions and studying, you know, um, I'm, my life as a writer means that all day long, I'm pretty much inside this, uh, deeper conversation that I'm having in my head, as well as my laptop, as well as, you know, in interviews um, with readers, with other writers. And, um, I think that just a lot, that scholarly pursuit that examined life it helps me remain in touch with my inner voice and i do my own things of you know i have a gratitude journal and i meditate every day and i go for a long run i run about seven miles a day and all of those are opportunities for tuning in and being still with one being still with myself so that i can listen to I, the chaos melts away i think the more i sit in solitude um, And that's what I always hope that other people can do. Even to add 10 minutes of silence to your day can be of such physical and emotional benefit.
0: And then when you get the answer, sometimes it's hard to act on. So for me, you know, I I, I love finding the answer. I would say, you know, kind of what my spirit wants to do next or what's kind of Mm. the next right thing to do. I like to frame it that way. Like, what's the next right thing to do? And when I'm aware of it, it's really hard. I'll spend months, yeah, sometimes doing it. Like sometimes, you know, like most recently, the next right thing to do was to like schedule my time. Mm. And it's something that I've done before. It's just something that has gotten away from me, right? And I would literally wake up every single day, like today, I'm going to map out right. what a week looks like for me. And there's yeah. so much resistance for some reason.
1: Do you think that's? I mean, I always think that's from um, resist. If you know something is good for you and then you deny it from yourself, is that from a lack of love for yourself?
0: Well, that definitely could be the case for sure.
1: Yeah, because um, you wouldn't deny something healthy to, from a person you love.
0: Right. Yeah, I haven't quite tracked it down. I know like... Oftentimes, that resistance is a good compass that I'm heading mm. in the right direction. Like reading your book was very—I was very resistant to it. Um, the first time I sat down to read it, I like could—I could hardly get through it because right. it was like bringing up a lot for me. Yeah, and it was challenging to me. And um, you know, these are things that I've like to be like, oh well, I've learned from, right. so I never need to revisit them. Yeah, um, when. It's just a part of my history, like it right. always will be. Mm. Um, like i i tell I tell people, like you know, especially when they when it comes to decisions with kids or with wives, like these this decision is going on the record. Yeah, you know, like I I wanted um, uh, Jax's mom not to have a kid. Yeah, and like that decision's on the record. You yeah, know, like my son's going to get old enough one day to to know that, and I've been a great father, um, but like. You know, it would have been I wish I had handled certain situations with more grace and like I don't know, I guess when when it's come to the the hard decisions like writing this book
1: mm-hmm.
0: where you know that there's probably gonna be at least two people very angry at you.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> how'd you decide to do it anyway?
1: That's a great question. I I knew that this book could be of benefit to other people who Had gone through similar things like myself because, you know, to recall that um, so many chapters of this book had been the thing that allowed me to break free, emotionally break free and detach from my ex husband. So I knew there was value there. And I'm, my leading, my leading drive in life is always service, of being in service of others. And it came down to a numbers thing. I knew that this book could have impact, positive impact on countless people's lives if I was able to get it into the world. And so if that costs two people being angry with me, you know, anger in a way is for me to ge- be upset about someone being angry about me would be an ego thing, right? Because everyone is entitled to their own opinion. If someone wants to be angry at me and I take offense to that. That's on me. That's my ego. And um so that's how I talked myself into permission. I convinced myself that there's going to there's a deeper story at work and I need to be in service of that story and not my feelings being hurt that someone else's feelings were hurt.
0: Yeah, but not just that though, you're also risking lawsuit and
1: Not really. Actually, no, no, because um, the book has been vetted numerous times. Um, I don't name anyone. And nothing has been, there isn't any untruth in this work. Right. Yeah. So slander, you can be sued for slander if you make up something with bad intentions towards someone else and it costs them and and it creates financial or professional or creative harm.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that they would have a case, but I'm saying just the fear of them pursuing action that never came Mm, up.
1: No, because I also, um, well, my father thinks it's a beautifully written book and he hasn't denied anything in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is an amazing thing on his part, you know, um, And I made sure to have a bunch of conversations with him leading up to the book to say, hey, you know, these are the things that happened in our lives. And, um, and again, um, I'm not the first, he and I are not the first Bangladeshi daughter and father to go down this road of the things that happened in our past. And um, I have allegiance and responsibility to speak on those matters because silence kills silence leads to self-loathing being silenced leads to pain and uh, i'm not going to stand for that and if i can help someone else feel uh feel fr- um uh, gain freedom from their suffering i'm going to do that yeah, um, we- and then as for my ex-husband um uh, i don't think he's ever going to read this book honestly like, because really? I know his, I know his personality. He doesn't read, <laughs> but I mean, that's <laughs> like, a, like. Um, but beyond that, there isn't anything in here that, um, I mean, I, I, I write about both of them with a lot of love and I thank them profusely in the book numerous times for what they have taught me. And, um, there's also, there's nothing here that w- isn't true.
0: Yeah. It's a fear of mine that comes up often. Mm. Is I I, I had a custody battle with my son's mom, and so like being tied up in the court system is like
1: right, yeah,
0: scary. But even just yeah, even just the fear of somebody being angry with me because of something I wrote is is real. I mean, you're handling it with a lot of courage, whether or not it's inherently hard to you or not. It's a big deal,
1: right? And um, you know, it was the thing that kept me um awake for a few nights in the beginning until I realized that it was having so, I mean, this this book healed me of the trauma I'd went through as a survivor of sexual assault. It also healed me from my anorexia. And those are no small feats. And so because I felt that transformation happen, I've always been so committed to making this book available for other people and that service will always override fear for me. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. It, can we talk about the journey of loving yourself a bit? Right. I'm somebody who struggled with body issues. I wrote a piece about it and I've mm-hmm. taken steroids at various points to mm-hmm. get big, which I is something I find attractive in men. Mm-hmm. Um, and. What's your journey been like in in falling in love with your own skin suit?
1: Yeah. um, You know, it's uh, for the longest time, because I was um, preyed upon by sexual predators from a very early age, from when I was 11 years old. And then I was also being raised in a culture that really objectifies young girls really early. um, I thought my entire belonging in the pack was from my physicality uh, in a really toxic way. And I made a career out of that. I was an actress and a model and a very specific kind of actress where, you know, it was about looking a certain way and looking like, looking a very, looking a very certain way and um, in allegiance to this very narrow view of what female beauty is supposed to be. Uh, petite and coy and sexy and docile and just there for the toxic male gaze. And it compounds in and of itself. You know, the more the more you shrink emotionally and physically, the more susceptible you become to abusive uh, situations and abusive partners who like people to be small and controllable. Um, and I was able to kind of catch... Myself when I was 29 and see how all of it's connected. And I had suffered from anorexia from when I was 15 all the way to 29, 30. And writing this book was the first thing where it wasn't about my physicality. Every day, my daily task was to use my brain and my creativity to make something of value show up on the page. And that in itself was so healing. Because it didn't, it didn't matter to my, to the growing book, it didn't matter what I looked like and the joy that I would receive from writing a sentence that I, that I found pleasurable, that as well was not, it did not hinge on my physicality and little pieces by that, you know, the recovery comes from taking one little step at a time or one sentence at a time. And with each sentence, I would fill with this really genuine sense of pleasure and self-esteem from using your brain in a creative way. And that began, that started replacing my sense of self before my sense of self was all about how much I weighed and what I looked like in a mirror. And soon my sense of self became one sentence after another sentence after another sentence.
0: It's funny that the path, to, you just kind of illuminated something with the path to recovery or growth, like you said, is like one little thing at a time. Right. And it's the same with destruction. Absolutely. Like it's the same with slipping into yes. a destructive relationship.
1: That's brilliant. It's like these yeah.
0: little things happening. So right. it, it just made me aware of like, oh man, like. Everything. It's all these little decisions combined. Right. Like my choice today, I'm eating much better. Today I, I kind of slipped. And and I slip throughout the day, Mm. like one little cheat here and one little cheat there. And and I love that.
1: It's one little thing, you know, it's the butterfly effect. A butterfly flaps its wings, you know, halfway across the world and then it picks up. It all just kind of happens. And that's how our lives are built, too. What's
0: most important to you right now to living the life that you've reclaimed and making the most out of it?
1: being present for all of this, continuing to be present and my best version of myself. The The memoir is an unusual book in that it's both very intimate and it has this largesse to it. And, um, and that's what my life feels like every day where I'm getting to have the, I have the honor of having these really intimate and also really big conversations. And maybe that's what human intimacy is the biggest thing in a way, you know, there is so much largesse in that. And my um, daily task is to be present for it all. Um, to go through my, you know, doing my meditation practice every morning and eating healthily and going for my run so that I can be physically present and my best self for the, the largesse and the intimacy of it all.
0: You can tell me if this is too much, but are you dating
1: right now? I'm actually not. I took an By choice. Um Yeah. Well, about, I was kind of dabbling in dating, you know, when I started writing the book. And then, you know, a big part of the book was I wanted to really examine the psychology and the conditioning from childhood that had made me uh, attracted to and loyal to abusive partners. And also I wanted to address and heal my anorexia. And so, you know, within a few chapters of the book, I started healing and therefore transforming from the girl who started writing that book to the woman she was becoming. And I had tried to date people, but it was as though I was, you know, if you're partnered up with someone in class, but then you're three chapters ahead, just because you've been taking extra classes you know after school or something or putting yourself through scholarly pursuit and i've been doing this really condensed version of scholarly self-examination and um i started growing out of the girl who would go on date number 1 is that does that make sense like by the by date number 2 i would have become like a whole new transformed like the next version of myself and i realized that for me to really go through this the 180 process i needed to go about it myself and then um and i also wanted to hear what my voice sounded like without without a man's in the room because so yeah, yeah so much of the girl i used to be she was con- she was created as the negative space around a man's positive space and i wanted to hear what it would be like who i truly am if i'm the only person i'm taking care of If I'm, if my opinion is the only person, only opinion I'm taking care of, you know, and being careful of, you know, what my tastes are like, what my choices are like, all of that. And it's, um, and then a few years ago, uh, when the, the book left my hands and, you know, my agent took it and started shopping it around to different publishers, um, there was an opportunity of, okay, should I start dating again? And I realized, no, if I really want to launch my career as a speaker at, um, on a national level, I just, if anything, i want more time in my day. So I took out all of the, all of those apps, the dating apps that I had on my phone and where I would spend 10 minutes here or half an hour there or an hour there. I realized, well, that's, that's not going toward a specific goal. It was just a, a time suck. And um, I cut out dating altogether. So it's been three years. And I'm glad that now when I reenter that life, it'll be as someone who really knows who they are and therefore knows what they want.
0: I'm taking a similar break Yeah. where I feel like there's so much change mm-hmm. happening within exactly. myself. It would be, un- you know, it's like
1: almost unfair, almost you know, like-
0: unfair that. If we date for six months, like I could end up being kind of different in six yeah, months. Yeah,
1: exactly. Because
0: n- there's not a lot of me that isn't up for negotiation at this point.
1: That's a beautiful and perfect way to say it. Yeah,
0: like I'm really open to <laughs> change because right. there's some things that aren't working.
1: Absolutely. And, um, mm-hmm. and you know how I spoke about earlier where it's a rare man who is comfortable with female power. Um, and especially since the way I carry my power I'm a very tender person, but at the same time, I have this powerful voice too. And I, um, I kept on finding myself in situations where I was dating men who were just uncomfortable with that. And I thought, you know, let me just grow into my full power, see where the chips land and then see who is able to stand next to me in my power.
0: That's, that's wonderful. What are you you. most looking forward to? In relationship,
1: mm. being with someone who is strong and powerful and courageous in their own skin,
0: and not afraid of yours,
1: and not afraid of mine, yeah,
0: that does sound nice, right? So let's check on the time. Well, we're doing we're doing okay, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're right at that point. Perfect. I guess I can just end it on the question. I kind of always end it at right. But if I was to hand you my cell phone and on the other line was uh, a young person who was about to go through some of the similar chapters that you went Mm. through in life, what are the most important bits of information that you would want her to know? What would you tell him or her? But we'll just say her because you really resonate with with that. What would you tell her to kind of help her on her journey? Right.
1: It's never. It's not your fault. You did not bring this upon you. Uh, you are never deserving. No human being is ever deserving of unkindness or cruelty, and therefore this is not your fault. And you do hold the inner wisdom to navigate your way through the darkness. And if somebody comes toward you and says that the only way out of the darkness is by succumbing to their control and their choices for you run away from that person because they're part of the darkness you have the tools and i think most of us we are far more powerful than we let ourselves believe and that the world wants us to believe
0: thank you so much
1: thank you sam
0: that's it for today's episode. For more of Rima, you can check her out. All of her information, at least her social media and her website, are in the show notes. Again, uh, we could totally use your help by supporting this podcast through Patreon, supporting us financially, or you can write us a review on iTunes or just follow me on Instagram if you'd like, Sam Lamont or HelloHumans.co for the official channel. This is the How To Human Podcast, a production of HelloHumans.co. And I hope you guys have a lovely day. All right. Until next time.